everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, three games today, a busy day of soccer. How are you? I saw Paul Tenorio tweeted something like, wait, that DC Toronto game was this morning? And I was like, I actually feel the same way. It feels (laughs) like a completely different day. (laughs) It's been quite a busy day of soccer. We had Toronto, yeah. D.C. United in the morning, and then we had both L.A. teams playing against the Houston Dynamo, that's LAFC versus Houston, and then Galaxy and the Portland Timbers as the late nightcap. But it was fun games, exciting games, games with some different things that I think we haven't seen yet. The games were good, and let's get into it. We've got plenty to talk okay. about today. Let's start with Toronto FC's 2-2 draw with D.C. United. Jordan, Toronto started hot in this game. They started well, moving the ball well through build-up and into the attacking half, getting two goals from Ayo Akinola, the young uh, youngster essentially filling in for Josie Altidore. And then DC stormed back in the second half. Two late-ish goals, one a beautiful chip from Iguain, and the other a late header from Frederic Berriant. A really interesting game with DC making that late push. It was an interesting game, and I think... If you just turned the game off off after those first Toronto goals, you would say Toronto hands down best team in the tournament. Yeah. They were do- they were dominating everywhere on the pitch. They were just really good and I think you started to see these combinations between uh, Pezuelo, Delgado, Piatti, Bradley. It was just beautiful in moments and I just I think the thing that is curious, that makes me curious, because there's a big change, turning point in this one, right? With the yellow card right at the turn of half, the second yellow card right at the turn of the half. So DC United go man down a man for 45 minutes plus. Yep. And what is crazy to me, Joe, is it didn't seem like Toronto in the second half. And I say cared. Of course they cared. They wanted to score another goal. But it didn't give that off like, okay, we're just going to go and pump the balls in the back of the net. because, Which I think is weird because Toronto has a killer in- instinct and they didn't show it here. And it came and bite, bit them in the butt. It really did. DC, I thought, were much better, weirdly, in the second half with only 10 men. They pressured Toronto much better. They actually applied pressure to the ball, which they didn't really do in the first half. So credit to them for that. And then they do, they take advantage of a forced change from Greg Vanny with the two center backs coming out. Chris Mavinga and Omar Gonzalez came out at the water break in the second half. And Eric Zavaleta and Laurent Simon came on. And Simon makes a big mistake leading up to that chipped goal from Iguain. He he plays the ball into midfield, tries to find Nick DeLeon. He can't. Russell Canal steps to the ball and eventually Iguain ends up with the ball in behind the back line and chips the keeper DC took advantage of those mistakes. They took advantage of those moments and applied pressure, stepped to the ball to win it in midfield, which they didn't do so much in the first half. I mean, there there's so many different changes in there. And Pipa himself, Iguain, can give you such a different look, right? He is a tried and true veteran in MLS. So when he comes on, you are preparing yourself to defend differently than you were before. But I think that that change at the center back spot really just rattled Toronto in a different way. Um, one thing I did want to say is, and I, I had this marked as the 46th minute because DC did 
create some opportunities. And one in particular, um, Gressel had a, a cross and it was a really good cross. He's on the right side in that uh, bit of space he likes to occupy where we've seen him assist thousands. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, <laughs> but it feels like that. So many goals for Atlanta United, right? And Joseph Martinez. And he plays in a ball exactly how he, he used to, where it's bending, it's teasing the goalkeeper. They can't quite come out. The defenders can't get to it. And it rolls all the way through. Hmm. And I thought, man, you know what you're getting with him. It's it's makes me just second guess like, OK, why is there no first second runner that are trying to uh, get on the end of those and also makes you realize how special of a connection those two really did have. Yeah, you're making me miss the old Atlanta United days. I don't know. That, <laughs> I, that, that just made me think like, OK, Gressel still is popping up in spaces where he does uh, do a really good job to help create going forward. So DC United fans, I think that's a positive. Yeah. And I do want to end actually with one positive for each team here because okay. I left feeling, I left watching this game feeling good in certain ways about both teams. We talked about that great first okay. half from Toronto. Yeah. They clearly have the attacking talent to play the way Greg Vanny wants with the ball on the ground, high possession, press a little bit after you lose the ball, high press occasionally. Toronto played well in this game. For most of it, for most of yeah. the game, maybe if those center backs don't come out, if Fanny doesn't need to make those changes, we see a different result here. So Toronto still, I think, a favorite in this tournament. And DC United, first of all, you have Iguain coming off the bench. We talked about it before this tournament started. That is a real X factor. And we sh- we saw it in this game. Mm-hmm. And then again, you have Gressel and the improved defensive pressure in that second half, even playing down a man, having to cover more ground. I thought DC United were much more impressive in the second 45 minutes. So positive signs for both of these teams. And we'll see those things again in the rest of the tournament. All right, on to game two. LAFC and the Houston Dynamo playing to a 3-3 draw. Plenty of goals in this game, Jordan. Whew. Oh my goodness. There was a lot of goals. And goals coming from Houston, oh, in three in the first half. And I think that took people aback a little bit. It took me aback. We have two goals from Memo Rodriguez. The first taking advantage of some poor defending from LAFC, a poor clearance and some poor um, stepping to the ball and, and closing down, all of that sort of thing. Memo Rodriguez gets the first one. And then the second one, a really nice ball in from Valentin right on to Memo Rodriguez's late run from midfield. Rodriguez has a really, really nice game. He, he's a quality player, uh, you know, working a lot in the Western Conference. I've gotten to see him play a significant amount of time and he gives you that. He is very intelligent in the way he runs off the ball. And I think what he is starting to realize and what Houston showed us is that they can use Albert Elise as not only a weapon, but as a decoy as well. Mm. Because that second goal was all decoy. It was Albert Elise on the wing, sizing up his defender, and then just dropping the ball off to Valentin, who came to help, right? And to came to provide support. But it really was... Time after time, when you keep getting beat one-on-one, you are so nervous about defending this player that then for that to happen, I think you're almost just like, wow, I should have pressured him more. But you can't win. You really can't win with him. He's so, he is so good. My, one of my favorite taglines is the best players put defenders in the worst situations or, or the best players put defenders in impossible situations. And yeah. that's what Albert Elise does, not just with one guy sometimes, but with two, three, four, an entire line of players. Was that in the second half where he almost like dribbled through everybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
He's great, right? We saw that goal from him as well. On the set piece, Elise gets his head on it. But I think the biggest thing that stood out to me with Albert Elise and the Houston Dynamo in general was how they transitioned so often. They had Elise on one side, Darwin Quintero on the other side. Those guys are so good out wide that they can switch the ball from one flank to the other at nearly full speed, moving direct into the opposing half. In this case, it was LAFC's half after they broke in through a counter press. Those two guys can get out and run and really cause problems with how they move in transition. Do you feel like this is kind of a good matchup for Houston then because of the counter press? And if you beat that first line of counter pressure, you essentially are free to run, which Houston is good at. I think it's a great matchup for the Dynamo with Albert Elise getting out on the break. That's I wrote about I wrote a piece last year or maybe it was a Twitter thread. I can't remember. I think it was a game against the San Jose Earthquakes and the the Quakes were up possessing high up the field and Albert Elise just tore them apart down the right wing over and over and over again. We didn't see that degree of of disarray in Albert Elise's path in this game, but he's still an absolute nightmare to defend in transition. Darwin Quintero, Memo Rodriguez, Mauro Manotas as well. All of those guys can get forward, do Uh some damage in possession, but especially in transition. And that's what you get when you play LAFC. I have one more thing about Houston because we got someone tweeted at us and said, just was watching how Figueroa was playing. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought Houston showed us the best deep block that we've seen yet. They... And you tweeted about it as well. But I was noticing, okay, they're si- they're sitting in a block and it's clear they're it's a low block. They are pretty content without the ball. But what I was noticing is they were willing to go and pressure the holding midfielders for LAFC, which takes you out of a little bit of that structured shape. So when that happened, then the next person has to step to the next man. And so it almost became a man for man at the back on the back line. And a lot of that time, I felt like Figueroa. So he kept winning a lot of balls, but he was almost baiting LAFC into playing into his the forward that he was defending against by stepping off him or even taking a step away from that player and then stepping back to them right as the player was like passing the ball so he could intercept it. It was really intelligent defending. The way the Dynamo moved defensively, yes, LAFC scored three goals, and we'll talk about them in just a minute. Yeah, right. But the Dynamo, I completely agree with you. The way that they pressured the ball, and they would move one guy up to pressure, and then they'd move him back, and the the whole team would shift in accordance with that. They they kept actual pressure on the ball, which is not something we've seen. We didn't right. see it from D.C. In, in the first half, especially. That's a rare thing, having that cohesive, collective, defensive mentality to step and cover, step and cover, step and cover for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's impressive to me. And yes, again, LAFC still scored three goals with a lot of nice sequences. But I think credit is deserved there for Houston. I, I wonder if this is because they have Tab Ramos as a coach. Because he has coached in the national team for so long. So you're without players, you're with players. You're Mm. without players, you're with players. So he's kind of used to getting everybody on the same page in a small amount of times. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a different style. into my head. And I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is he's a good coach. And whatever he, however he got his team to execute this game plan. Yes, they were up by two goals. um, But this is... They're playing against the best team that's ever probably played in MLS. <laughs> yeah. And I think they put a pretty dang good performance out there. Here, here. With LAFC, I want to focus on one specific movement or run or, or positioning that okay. I saw a pattern with on all three goals. And it's okay. that outer channel of the box. 
It's that Manchester City zone, as we call them on the show, and that's not something that we came up with. But it's that little section, sliver overlapping both the outside and the inside of both lateral portions of the box. All of these goals came from a movement in that side. The first one was a cross low from Diego Rossi into Bradley Wright Phillips from the left side of the box in that left-sided Manchester City zone. The next one was Diego Rossi scoring from the right side of the Manchester City zone. And the final one was Brian Rodriguez getting a slipped ball in behind the back line in the aftermath of a free kick. But again, from that exact same spot, it's that same run over and over again, or that same positioning that clearly Bob Bradley wants to see from his attacking players. That can be a fullback, that can be a forward, that can even be a midfielder rotating wide. But specifically, it was Rossi and it was Brian Rodriguez really creating attacking chances and taking advantage of those chances from those positions. Oh yeah, they cr- they crushed it in that space. And... It totally contrasts what we saw in the later game with LA Galaxy. So before we get to that, I I do want to talk about that first goal because I was really, it made me think during that buildup, Mark Anthony Kay got the ball and he was in a spot where he could have played it wide to Rossi. Like he could have just played it wide to him, but instead he played it to Blessing who then played it wide. And I was really intrigued about this. Why, why, why that extra pass? Maybe you maybe you draw that fullback inside a little bit with the pass to blessing so that you create space for the wide player. It's that's exactly what I saw when I kept watching this. I watched the replay a few times because I wanted to know like what is it, and I think that's LAFC can hurt you in so many ways, and they can hurt you right there at the top of the box when they have numbers, which they did. They had Bradley Wright Phillips, Latif Blessing, and Mark Anthony K right there at the top of the box. So can those three break you down? doesn't really matter how many players you have with like <laughs> small possession in a Rondo game at the top of the box. Yeah, they can. So when you that ball goes from Mark Anthony K a little bit inside to blessing, well, players turn their body shape and they start to go inside to hunt and to close that space. So then it opens up Rossi that much more. And it was like, to me, it felt like, Wow, that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people would play the ball into a space where Latif Blessing already had three players, I wouldn't say on him, but I would say very near him, in order to open up space for somebody else. Like, they almost see a few passes ahead. They do. It's the way that they're set up in the attack with options out wide and with spacing in the center. I mean, that's how quality possession soccer is supposed to look in the final third. And we see that consistently from LAFC. It was fun. It was fun to watch the back and forth and the adjustments that each team had, and it was a battle to the end. On to the third game of the day. This is LA Galaxy 1, Portland Timbers 2. Jordan, I'm going to lead with the hypothesis here, and I want you to try to prove me wrong, or maybe you'll just agree with me. The Galaxy are not a good soccer team. Oh, gosh, Joe. I don't think they're a bad team. I don't think that they are utilizing their strengths. Okay, elaborate. I thought in the second half, when you bring Pavone to the outside, they were much better. When he could create and get the in line if necessary, but cut inside, just do whatever he wants. He's more comfortable on the wing. And by putting him in a 4-4-2 where he's next to Chicharito, well, maybe that helps Chicharito. It didn't really look like it did. It didn't, no. They needed Pavone on the wing. And one of the things that, because Pavone was up front, well, there was space. He was trying to stretch the back line, right? And push... Portland back. Well, Portland did a really good job of just keeping numbers back. There were multiple times where 
LA Galaxy would try to break out. And I'm thinking in the first half a lot on that right side with Legette. And he would he would try to dribble out of the back or play a quick combination on the right side and try to get past midfield. And he ended up turning around because there were so many Portland players back. So if you put Pavone up there, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're utilizing their strengths in the right way. And that's my answer, I guess. Okay, I appreciate that. I don't know. I didn't know that was coming. And I don't know how to accurately describe how I think it can work. But I do think defensively, it's not great. And let's start there. Let's start there, right? And we'll talk about Portland as well, because I do think they played fairly well in this game. That front two of Chicharito and Christian Pavon. It's a change from the 4-2-3-1 with Pavon on the left, or at least it was in the start of this match. Right. While Shaloto moved Pavon up top with Chicharito. That didn't pay off a lot for Chicharito. I thought it was worth trying. Honestly, I do. Yeah. I thought the idea there was good, and I appreciated that there was something different than what we saw at the start of the season. But Joe, I we saw this in the Rapids game as well. Like, if it's not working... Change it. You can change it in the game. <laughs> can you? I thought so. You can. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't. We didn't see that, at least for a while in this game. That move was designed to get Chicharito into form, and eventually he did score a goal in the second half. It was too little too late for the Galaxy. But that front two of Chicharito and Pavon was a defensive liability. They did not put pressure on the Portland Timbers buildup. They did not set the tone at the top of that shape. Mm-hmm. Defending starts from the front, and when your front two aren't defending... I mean, we saw this with Zlatan last year, right? Yeah. He didn't defend, and that put the Galaxy in a lot of unfortunate situations in their block. But yeah. credit to the Portland Timbers. We talked about the Galaxy already. They controlled the ball for a lot of this game. They controlled the ball in the Galaxy's box on that first goal. I mean, Diego Valeri is already inside the box. Sebastian Blanco makes a diagonal run behind the back line, but in front of the goalkeeper. These are small margins. Mm-hmm. Valeri plays it to him. Blanco gets it right in front of the keeper, plays it across for Bobasi, who finishes a really nice finish. That's Portland, right? I mean, Blanco gets the second goal later in the game to put them up 2 nothing before Chicharito gets his gets his first goal for the Galaxy. Portland took advantage of their attacking playmakers, Valeri, Blanco, Abobasi, and that was enough in this game. That was enough to get them past the Galaxy and to have them looking good with the ball at times, which is not something we've always been able to say about the Timbers. I actually think the Timbers were better in the second half, in particular when LA Galaxy started possessing more of the ball because it, it stretched LA Galaxy out a little bit more and they could... They could rely back on their counterattack, which they're so good at. Both these goals coming off the, the first one off of a shot deflection that wasn't handled properly by Bingham. And it was just the persistence there that led up to that. It was a beautiful goal by Portland. And Blanco in particular was phenomenal for them. And then that second goal is just when you talk about LA Galaxy, that defending is just not good enough. Yeah, it's not. And I don't know what else to say about it. Let's not say anything else about it. <laughs> okay. I want to leave this with two thoughts, again, like I did with the first with the first game of this episode. I don't think I would change anything from the Portland Timbers from this game. It worked. You took advantage of the Galaxy's weaknesses. You looked dangerous with the ball at times. And their defensive block was much better than we saw at the start of the season back in late February and early March. So that's my Timbers thought. My Galaxy thought, Jordan is I think they need to make some changes, right, between this game and the next game. Let's shift things around and use their resources in a different way. Uh-huh. I, If I was setting up the Galaxy for game two, their second game of the group stage, it's Chicharito up front. He got his goal. Maybe that's a turning point for him. He missed the penalty yeah. in this game, but he he did get that goal. You put Pavon on one wing. You put Dunbar on the other wing, 17-year-old kid who looked lively in this game. Yeah. You put Sebastian Legette underneath Chicharito, and you're playing a 4-2-3-1. That's your four attacking players. Yeah. Then you have Sasha Kleschen, 
and maybe either Perry Kitchen or Joe Corona if he's he'll be back from that suspension that he was serving from from cards at the beginning of the season. And you run with that front six. You hope your back line can defend a little bit stronger and not get burned on the dribble like they did in this game. But run that attacking lineup out there. Have two dangerous guys on the wings. Sebastian Legette there to set the tone defensively at the top of a 4-4-2 block with Chicharito. That might do the trick for the Galaxy. Okay, I like that. I really like that. And the last thing I need to say about the LA Galaxy is I'm not saying do not cross the ball. But I am saying treat the crosses as a pass. Because I feel like they are just sending the ball in there without any knowledge of where their players are. There was an opportunity in the the second half where Chicharito, before he scored his goal, made this really good run from about the, I would say, 10 to 16 yard in that area that um, and the ball was just sent straight over. There was this huge gap because Portland was dropping so far back on those crossed balls because they have height. They have the ability to win the head balls that you can't just dump it in there. I just think they they are going to cross the ball. We know that. But can they take care of those crosses a little bit more and treat them like they're setting somebody up on a platter? Like that's what I need. I need I need more of what we saw from the Galaxy goal from the Galaxy if they're going to be a crossing team. Bob Bradley said in his little interview with the Fox broadcast team during that LAFC versus Houston game we need to make sure we have a reason for crossing. That's a paraphrase, yeah. but that's the idea here. Cross exactly. with purpose. It needs to be structured. And if the Galaxy do more of that, we're going to see a better team. Yeah. One last thing I do want to say for Portland, because I mentioned something for LA Galaxy. And you had talked about some young young guns for Galaxy. I thought Williamson looked good for the Timbers. Steady went in there. And I think this is one of the benefits of this tournament is the ability for teams to get in some of these young players who maybe wouldn't normally have an opportunity. And you put them in a game situation where it's meaningful. And like for the Timbers, they I think these are minutes for him that are going to be very valuable in his growth. That's it. Jordan, we've gone through three games, Toronto, DC, LAFC, Houston, and the Galaxy Timbers. That's a lot of soccer. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Three more tomorrow, right? Three more tomorrow. Let's stay busy. All right. Good night. <laughs> Good night, Jordan. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for listening, everybody.